I think people, when they see somebody like that, take their own life, they start asking themselves these deep questions. And then they start thinking about all their friends and people that they know who struggle with these things and starting to realize that it could just happen at any moment. You know what I mean? And if there's anything good that comes out of somebody's death like that is it allows us this conversation now to like, you know, let people know that, you know, it's always your happy. I saw some meme going around. It's, you know, always check on your friends. And it was like five very successful people who had taken their own lives. Um, you know, it was like Brittany Murphy and a couple other people. And you're like, man, this is, it's, it's always the ones that you don't think are going to do it that end up following through. I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily. I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me. Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hey everyone, Kristen Sonata Walker here with my fantastic co-host, the mental health comedian Frank King. Hey Frank. Woo-woo! <laughs> was that you or was that a recording? I don't know. That was me. That was it was I. <laughs> well, we have a great guest and a follow-up from someone else that we had on, Mark Hunter. So Nick Cavalier is with us. Nick, thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Um, well, I'm That's an um, ominous question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a filmmaker in Los Angeles. Um, I'm from Cleveland originally. That's where I, you know, obviously how I know Mark and, um, and I make films around uh, lately a lot of mentally tortured people. <laughs> um, hey, there's hope for me. Yeah. <laughs> but, you, but yeah, I mean, uh, just a lot of character portrait driven, you know, work. And um, I'm also bipolar as well. So I figured there's got to be a conversation here. So, yeah. 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 So Nick, when you say you're now starting to do more of these character driven, um, you know, documentaries and films and things like that. Are you seeing it because there's an uptick out there in the entire world around mental health and personal, you know, driven stories and things, things like that? Or is it just that you just sort of moved into that genre? Uh, well, a little bit of both. I mean, both project, well, I've done three projects really that have this theme. Um, I did one on in 2015, I did a film called Force Perspective, which is about um, Derek Hess, who's a dual diagnosis bipolar artist, but he's pretty prolific in, in the work that he's made. And um, that was from being a fan. So okay. it was like, oh, I'm a fan of this art. I would love to do this. Um, and so I, I, I was like, this isn't getting into it. I realized he was bipolar and he, he dealt with a lot of these issues and sort of made, tried to make mental health like the, I guess the protagonist, you know, in the film or the antagonist rather. And so like, that's, it's, it's just, it was something to grab onto in the story and also dealing with it myself. It was something I was personally interested in. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, having gone and done a couple other projects, I did a, a, a piece on this comedian, Billy Bonnell, who his dad and his grandfather killed themselves back to back when he was a little kid. And that's sort mm-hmm. of what started him in the journey to comedy to kind of deal with that pain. And I just thought that was like a very interesting manifestation of, of a tragedy. So for a storytelling yeah. standpoint, 
And then Mark's story, as you guys have talked about before, you know, all, that was also from being a fan, but now I'm trying to push it into, um, you know, if there, when I, when I look for a subject, I look for those themes or I look for it um, as a, or I look for something in their life that's organic that can sort of provide some insight or wisdom into dealing with that because I think everybody deals with it. And the conversation lately, you know, in, in the media, even mainstream media is, is around mental health. And I think it's, it's something right. that's good, good to get out there because, you know, it, it, even if you're not mentally ill, like diagnosed, you're going to deal with a lot of the same feelings, yes. you know? Well, our culture today makes you mentally ill, so no one's immune anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the attention—it's—it's <laughs> it's really crazy how how um, different. I mean, I—I I guess the conversation has shifted because when I was, you know, I'm 32 years old. When I was a little kid and I was diagnosed, like I feel like nobody even knew what it was. You know, not yeah. not a single person like talked about it, and now it's like it's almost like. Everyone wears it with a badge of honor, which is I really love it. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Once yeah. you get into the bubble, the bubble keeps getting bigger <laughs> and bigger. It's awesome. <laughs> Frank, you had a comment you wanted to make. <laughs> yeah, Nick, uh, your comic. I do I do stand up comedy, been doing it for thirty three years. Uh two things. Uh depression and suicide run in my family. It's called generational depression and suicide. My grandmother died by suicide. My mother found her, my great aunt, trigger warning. Um, trigger warning, my great aunt died by suicide. My mother and I found her. I was four years old. My mother opened the refrigerator and guess what? There was my aunt who had wow. tried to climb her way out and she fell on top of me, pinned me to the, pinned me to the floor at four years old. Wow. Uh, yeah. So that's, uh, yeah, I, um, and, and by the way, you mentioned back when you were diagnosed with bipolar, people didn't talk about that thing in my family. There was an urban legend. Everybody got together, all the adults, and decided that they would tell me if I ever asked, um, how did I, what, what was Aunt Foy doing when we found her? In other words, if I had walled it off and didn't remember. And the legend was that, well, when you opened the, your mom opened the door, she was sitting in there with her hands folded in prayer. And because people wow. didn't talk about it back then, nobody, but then my cousin, who's 10 years older in 2012, said to me, uh, wait a minute, folded in prayer in my ass, the old bat fell out on top of you. And of course, whatever I had, however I had wall that off, the, right. all the brick came tumbling down. And uh, and I did a TEDx called Mental with Benefit. I believe that that with every mental illness where you're not completely dysfunctional comes a set of mental ableness. It's not a genetic mutation, but an actual evolutionary adaptation. And that's why you see so many people, pretty much everybody I've ever met who had a mental illness had some sort of mental ableness. And the premise yeah. of the TEDx premise of the TED talk was treat the mental illness and embrace the mental ableness like the, like Hess, like, you know, he's embraced his artistic abilities and turned it into an industry. That yeah. was the point yeah. of the TED talk. Yeah. I think also like, you know, you gotta, you gotta think of it. I think of it sort of like in nature, you have these aberrations, right? You know, like blue eyes or, you know, there, and then there's an evolutionary advantage to taking a risk. And it, just with, with my particular form of bipolar, I'm, you know, hypomanic like Mark. And I know he kind of called it CEO disease when he was on here, but I really do feel like there, because of the extremes, you're willing to take these risks and you, there's this, if you're manic, there's this extreme belief in yourself, you know, and almost an overconfidence that you have. And that translates into the doing of whatever creative field you're in and the low allows you to be introspective and go deeply into yourself. You know what I mean? And sort of feel, um, feel, feel deeply or feel the same thing that most people do in a deeper way, I guess would be the way I would describe it. You know, you're yeah. really in touch with your feelings. And I think that that helps, especially with in any creative field, comedy, writing, directing, painting, whatever it is, you know? Running a podcast network. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. I, was, yeah. I was just talking with our editor, Joe. I call him Yo, uh, Joda because he's so wise. Um, he, I was just telling him the other day, probably yesterday, hey, you know, if I got a, a desk job and I'm not putting down desk jobs, please, no one take that I'm saying desk jobs are bad at all because I'm not. But if I, if I know that when I had them, um, before I was 27, when I was 27, I got into consulting and, um, you know, and then it, 
I've never had, I've always run my own thing from there. So when I had them, it was like a prison for me. I would yeah. have ended up in a mental health institution if I had stayed there because it wasn't set up. And that's how school felt for me too. Like I wasn't the way that my, whatever it is works, it doesn't work in that kind of environment. <laughs> it just yeah. doesn't. And, and for, yeah. and the world understanding that not everybody does um, and some people do and it's great and some people really can't. I love that, that the world is, is starting to, you know, get it, but frankly, yeah. Okay. yeah. Sorry, Nick, go ahead. And then we'll, no, no, I think, Oh, I think that's really crazy. There's like a lot more, there's a lot more of a, an awareness of that in our culture mm -hmm. that, you know, I mean, I was reading some article the other day about freelancing among millennials is up like, a crazy yeah. percentage because, and it's a lot of it's because of no job stability, da, 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 da. people want to be self-employed, but also I think it's, people are like, well, look, I get paid nine to five to sit in a desk, you know, like I could be using this time to make things that are better or, you know, use this time more productively instead of just waiting to get something at five o'clock and then having to stay till eight, you know? So that it's, uh, I think it, for people like us who your brains don't work the same as everybody else, yes. we've already known this, but I think even within the culture outside of people with mental illness, there's like a sort of an awakening happening there, you know? Yeah. Well, look at, look at, um, Elon Musk. I mean, he's yeah. bipolar, uh, he's manic. He sends an email out at one in the morning and then all of a sudden there's a freaking, you know, news article about, oh, Tesla is going downhill because Elon Musk is sending an email at 1 a.m. to his employees. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Do you That's know how many crazy. emails I've sent out at 1 yeah. in the morning and 3 and 4 and 5? And I tell people, just don't read them. Like, don't, you don't, you turn your freaking phone off. You do not have to read it at the same time that I write it. But I mean, it was just, in, it, it was, it's so not okay to talk like that anymore that that news article that came up about it, it got so panned because yeah. our culture has changed its perspective about this kind of stuff. So anyway. <laughs> yeah. So um, uh, Nick, um, the uh, have you read Hypomanic Advantage? No. What's that? It's a book called Hypomanic Advantage. It talks about I'm how. I'm Googling it now. Yeah, I think it's Hypomanic Advantage. Um, it talks about how the, the three countries are the most folks who have bipolar are Canada, the United States, and Australia. And the author believes it's because they're all immigrant countries. People came from someplace else. And basically he says, who, who would leave, uh, you know, uh, England or Europe to sail across the ocean and one in seven ships went down for a variety of reasons <laughs> to a landfill with, you know, mosquitoes and malaria and native Americans who didn't want you there. I mean, it's the kind of thing that somebody in, in the, um, hypomanic state would do, you know, screw this, I'm leaving and would go. Yeah. And there's also a messianic element because a lot of, a lot of times it was religiously driven. They followed somebody who was probably in that hypomanic state, gathered his, gathered his flock and, you know, sailed to Australia or to Canada or to uh, the United States. And here's, here's my poster boy for the hypomanic advantage. Um, Johnny Manziel, the football player. Oh yeah. Yeah, recently yeah. diagnosed with bipolar, now getting therapy and, uh, you know, is taking medication. But he was first freshman ever to win the Heisman. I believe he achieved all that, a great deal of his success in the hypomanic phase, charismatic, you know, energetic, uh, making inspired, taking inspired risks, you know, standing on one foot, throwing the ball across his body into the end zone. Somebody catches it. And the problem is he was only treating himself with uh you know, beer and sooner or later. That's, that's, yeah. That's good. Yeah. Two years in the Cleveland Browns and out. So, but yeah, the book's called hypomanic advantage, Alexander Hamilton being a classic case. You read the book. That's where he starts is with Alexander Hamilton born into poverty and somewhere in the Caribbean. And of course rose to, to great heights was famous for being able to work for you know days on end. And, but his also his mood swings and, and, you know, and, 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 but yeah, it's, um, I, mm -hmm. I'm fascinating. If we could hold people in that, you know, if we could hold people in that state at that altitude safely in hypomania without them slipping up into manic or down into depressive, it's super productive. So that's, yes, that's, that's uh, what, that's what Vivance does for me. <laughs> <laughs> I see. That's so funny. I, I, mean, it's, I, 
<laughs> you know, I, Mark said something, and I think it was on your podcast where he's like, you know, I find it if I have to bring the mania out, just have a couple extra cups of coffee. <laughs> but like, <laughs> I, I think there is an advantage to that. There's like a, a, I look at it like a frequency. Like if you get, if there's yes. a sweet spot you can get to, right. And yes. I, I'm sure you guys have experienced it as well, but I know I oh, have where yeah. you get into that, where you're not manic, where you're going to like do something random where you're like going to paint post office red or, you know, you know, do something Spend unpredictable. $5, on Amazon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but, but you're high enough where your energy levels are and your enthusiasm to whatever task you're doing is high enough. And you yep. kind of hyper-focused, hyper-driven, hyper-alert. Yep. Um, that spot is, you know, the, and then people have speculated like a lot of people throughout history, you know, that have been prolific in their artwork, you know, Van Gogh and, you know, you could go on and on down the list. Um, but I think, you know, personally, I find that feeling tied to, um, tied to productivity. So like if I'm slow, you know, and the nature of being a freelance filmmaker director is that, you know, there's not always like January was rough for me. I'm going to, not going to, not going to lie. It's like, everyone's gone from the office for Christmas. And then, they come back and nobody's releasing money to do things and everyone's developing new ideas, but there's no actual work being created. And in in those moments, I find myself, it's, it's, it's easy to slip into a depression or a low because you're not being, you know, idle hands, the devil's plaything, Right. And I think (laughs) being aware of that and creating things to keep your mind active. um, And conversely, when you're manic, just being able to, pull yourself back down in a safe way instead of like what Johnny Manziel was doing with booze, you know, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe going for a run or, you know, uh, giving yourself something that will decompress you. Sometimes I go, um, I do isolation tanks or I'll, you know, get a massage, you know, to bring me back down, you know, um, whatever you can do in a, in a healthy, in a healthy way to manage the symptoms, you know, I'm a big advocate of that. Did yeah. you know, uh, Nick, did you know that I, in my TEDx on mental benefits, the rest of the title is the evolutionary advantages of mental illness that the, um, the research I did, the, uh, what do you call them? People that study people way, uh, not paleontologists, that's dinosaurs. Um, uh, anthropologists. Study you and right. me, Frank. The people that study dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, anthropologists, that's right. Um, yeah. They believe that back in the day, back in the time of cavemen and women, uh, that that everybody was pretty much manic because you had three months in the three or four months in the summertime, the warm months to gather, to hunt and gather provisions to help you maintain for eight months. So when the days grew longer, (laughs) freelance life. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) They were were Uber hunters and gatherers. They were hypersexual because you had to be to keep the numbers up in the tribes. Yep. And then when the days got shorter and the colder, they would like bears, they would hibernate and just try to stay alive. And uh, here's the, uh, the other thing about that pattern, uh, OCD. I, I, what I tried to do was show that, that a lot of the illnesses we have today, you know, they were actually survival skills back in the day. So you've got all this stuff you gather for four months worth. And it's got to last eight months. Well, who better to organize it than the person in the tribe who has OCD and is compulsively organized. Um, yeah, that's interesting. So, I've never yeah, so, actually thought of it that way. That's it's it's fascinating because you know even even people who have difficulty paying attention, you know, they, you know ADHD or anything like that, right? It's like it's it's a crazy thing because um, what if if you see those people dial into something that um, lack of alertness becomes a hyper focus, right? It's yes. like it, it's it's interesting. I mean, I think I, I think we're gonna find within the next. 20 or 30 years, you know, within my lifetime for sure, that there is, that there's a spectrum of mental illness and it exists in everybody. I don't think it's that I'm, that you or I or anybody is unique. You know, I think we just, we have, when it affects your life is when it becomes a diagnosis. Yeah. You know, Um, I I mean, it's, it's hard to, I mean, I'm completely speculating, but just, I mean, I haven't been on medication personally for since I was 19, but I was on medication from 10 to 19. And when I did that, I realized you have to address the, the actual feelings sort of like, you know, if an addict quits the drug, they still have to deal with the reason they were trying to fill a hole. Um, so for, for me, like I, I had a, I, I was just telling a friend this the other day, 
uh, I had a moment in college where I realized that I was annoying. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and that's that's how that's healthy. You know, but for real. Like you you know you're in a hypomanic state. You're talking everybody's ear off. You need to get those social cues. But when you're around your family or you're you're in high school and everyone knows you and they know you're a little off and you're different and then they go, oh, it's okay. And they dismiss it. Oh, he has bipolar. Oh, whatever. But when you go to a new environment like college or a workforce or anything or change a job and you get new stimulus coming at you, it's it, it's advantageous to take it as actual feedback and not criticism and try to improve yeah. yourself and how you handle a situation, you know? Uh, you, you, you realized very young. I didn't realize until I was in my mid-20s just how, you know, unbearable I was. I ran into my ex-in-laws and <laughs> I, was in like my, I was in like my late 20s and I said, look, Carol, um, Taylor, I've been something I've been meaning to do. I said, I just wanted to apologize for myself from age 16 to 23. <laughs> you weren't that bad. Oh, yes, I was. <laughs> you know, it's so funny because I just talked to my son today, and he's, you know, he's 29, he's going to be 30 in May, and he asked me something, which I won't reveal yet because he's not ready to talk about it, but I said, you know, that sounds great. You know that I want, I want this to happen, but we've worked so hard to have the relationship that we have now, which is so awesome that I don't want to do anything to jeopardize it. And he's like, why? Because I'm not a crazy asshole anymore. <laughs> and I said, well, so I was one too, hon. You grew up with a mother that, you know, had mental illness. So like I, we both, you know, we're doing, have struggling at the same time, but you, it, you're right. He, I said, what, made sense to me was he's like listen a lot of the stuff that I got mad about and that I couldn't handle you know mom I got 10 years in the workforce here so I've I've swallowed a lot of crap I know how to just not get upset about stuff and I'm like you're right so anyway I get that <laughs> yeah and I think it's missing in the conversation because so I think a lot of people and I'm not saying everybody does this but they when you find out you have a diagnosis you sort of become the label and you yeah. go, this is, you know, people comparing meds and talking about their symptoms. And it's like, that's all well and good. And, the, and I, I, there is value in that. But I also think personal sovereignty and personal accountability as a human being in general is just really an important skill to have. And if when you have a mental illness and you're very self-critical and you're introspective and you're and sometimes not even aware of it, you can the fact that you know that you're you're different shouldn't be a label you should be able to be responsible for your own actions still and and have some accountability and try to be better if you because can of that. it if depends you can. on yeah. yeah it depends on what the mental illness is you know i mean there are lots of my friends that you know schizoaffective disorder and they were not in control of you know what yeah, was of going course. on with themselves yeah. but they went through yeah. the journey the right medication whatever you know at, and you know, some don't take medication anymore, and some are like, "I'll be on it for life." You know, yeah. everybody, yeah. everybody Everyone's works different. differently. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think so, you know, medi medications are a tool too. You know, they can, yeah, they can absolutely. really help. And and I'm an, I'm an advocate for it, but I'm also I understand I understand what it is too and what it's doing. You know, and and yeah. don't let it be the reason you feel better. You know. Well, and I, I had a, yeah. I had a thought not long ago. Uh, I, I don't know about it's you guys blind. when I'm driving. Yeah. Oh, thanks, Kristen. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah blind like, wait a minute. Blind I'm supposed to be the yeah. comedian. Yeah, nicely done. No, it's okay. I deserve that. Um, the uh, When I'm driving oftentimes and I don't have the radio or audible on, I just, you know, just think. And I'm thinking to myself, what if somebody said to me, Frank, I've got this pill. One dose, one time. And you take the pill. And you will never be depressed again, and you will never have another suicidal thought. However, the one side effect is you, you will no longer process information the way a comedian processes information. Ooh. And I thought I wouldn't I, I wouldn't take give it to somebody who's really suffering. I, I, I'll, I'll deal with the downside to keep my my superpowers. Thank you. So, yeah. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, sense. like working with Billy, that comic, I mean, you guys seem to have very similar 
life situations and circumstances that brought you to comedy? I mean, I think most comics that I've met in general, they're like the bad kids in back of the class in general and how oh, yes. that, you know, that's like, but I think part of that comes from suffering. I mean, I think uh, a friend of mine who's a veteran told me once, like, what's the best, what's the best way to uh, deal with suffering is to give it meaning. Right. And I yeah. think, it, you know, it's important to be human and to feel sad. And I think that's another thing in the conversation that's not talked about a lot is, you know, we, we use medication sometimes to actually have real human feelings go away. Um, you know, I mean, I, when you're, sometimes yeah. it's okay to be depressed, meaning, I mean, if you're not suicidal and obviously that's a different like level of it, but let's say you, you lose a job or your girlfriend breaks up with you or whatever. I mean, that it's, that's a time to feel depressed. That's human. It's okay. And conversely, when you, you know, when you have a high, you have a success, you win an award, you do something, it's okay to feel good about that. And I think we're so sometimes scared because of the shifts of our feelings to just live a life worth living, you know? And that's, I think it's important to do that, you know, when you're mentally ill. Well, and I, I actually recently had the epiphany, something happened, uh, you know, something, uh, something, uh, something sad and I was sad and I realized that I can tell the difference between sad and depressed. It was an, I mean, it was a revelation. I thought, well, gosh, you know, it's, 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 there are different flavors of that. How old were you when that, when that happened, Frank? Oh, uh, 62 happened last month. (laughs) (laughs) Right after I had the idea, Kristen, uh, right after I had that first idea. Well, I mean, I just realized that with, you know, you know, because you know me and, you know, one of my dogs just passed. It was very, yes. well, any dog that passes. But I, I, it was so cool, even though I was very sad, it was so cool to, because I've taken this, I literally just like pulled out of my life, out of stress and toxicity and just went, I'm just going to start fresh. This, this is, this is, isn't working. And, um, and it allowed me the emotional room to have something like my dog die and go, oh, I'm I'm grieving. Yeah. Okay. This is grief. Yeah. Got it. It was yeah. so nice to be able to differentiate between, you know, between things because people can get, you know, it's not just medication that can dull your feelings and alcohol and whatever you can dull your feelings by having a whole bunch of unhealthy people running around you that are a part of your life too. And you're unhealthy right along with them. Yeah. The flip side of the coin is, and I just posted on this is it's possible. It is possible not to be, to be suicidal, but not, not depressed because with my particular mental illness, I can be, you know, I can be suicidal and not depressed. It just happens to be a, mm. it's always an option in my head, you know. That's interesting. I've never, I've never had those feelings, which that's got to be pretty intense because, you know, the, the, the compulsion, or, you know, you're talking about nature and like the will to just end it is always come from pain from my experience, you know, like people, I've, I've only attempted suicide once when I was very young and it, it, there was a sense of hopelessness attached to it. But if you're not having that, that's really, got to be a, a very bizarre feeling well you know? my, my story my story uh, nick is that and i tell this in one of my ted talks uh that my car broke down and which is not a life-changing event we have a couple of other ones and but the car broke down and i had three thoughts and this is my mental illness by the way i had three thoughts one get it fixed two buy a new one or three hell i could just kill myself um it was i wasn't hopeless i could finance another car you know <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Could get it, I get it fixed but it's just something my brain always tosses up as a as a solution for any problem, large and small. It just always, mm-hmm. hey, how about this? I've gotten to the that's point, I've heard it so many times that in my head I go, there's an idea. Um, <laughs> that's how, that sounds like the beginning of a, of a great bit, by the way. <laughs> oh, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I actually understand that. I do understand that just from times when we we did a show about suicide, of course, right after, you know, Robin Williams, and then we had Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade and all that. So we did a show about, look, it's not everybody. It's not always what you think it is. Like, I would never sit in a therapist's office and check a box that says, are you suicidal to let somebody know? And I have had 
extreme suicidal ideation at times when everybody was like, you're on top of the world. Like she's just going yep. great, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And, and I just was like, I do not want to live. So I do, I, I get that Frank, you know, it's, yeah. it's an interesting, it's an interesting beat that runs in your head. Um, and you don't have to, you're right. You don't have to be depressed when it's going on. Let me ask you guys this. Uh, when Anthony Bourdain, Kate Spade passed away, and to, to people that are farther toward the normal end of the mental illness spectrum, you know, that uh, perhaps don't, aren't aware, it's not become uh, dysfunctional. I, I got a lot of phone calls, emails, texts, Facebook messages, and it was like all my friends got together because they couldn't understand why either one of those people with everything to live for, you know, wanted to die. And so it was like all my friends got together. Well, Frank's suicidal. He'll know. Ask him. You know, I became this <laughs> spokesperson for people who were suicidal. Do you guys ever get text when something like like Bourdain or Kate Spade that happens people have questions and I tend to get a lot of them because you know everybody knows absolutely. I'm absolutely what about yeah you? I, I I it's weird um I try to keep it I try to keep pretty it's funny I'm on a podcast talking to an audience about this but I like within the people that I actually interact with on a daily basis I try not to talk about mental illness it's weird i mean i i do it more for public in the public so people didn't the only person who uh who there's only a few people who reached out and one of which was uh, a friend of mine who is who's a chef who knew anthony and he knew that i ha he knows that i have some issues and he, i think it was it felt more like a checkup on me than it okay. did ah. asking me if it was because i think you know when somebody as prolific as that especially like bourdain who seemed to have the best job in the world you know you're traveling right. to different countries eating it, just like what mark talked about though with tour you don't see all the other issues like being away from your family it's lonely in a hotel room right. you know and and people that knew him will tell you he's a pretty dramatic guy you know people that i know who knew him and um it's it's uh i think people when they see somebody like that take their own life they start asking themselves these deep questions and then they start thinking about all their friends and people that they know who struggle with these things and starting to realize that it could just happen at any moment you know what i mean and if there's anything good that comes out of somebody's death like that is it allows us this conversation now right. to like you know let people know that you know it's always you're happy i saw some meme going around it's you know always check on your friends and it was like five very successful people who had taken their own lives um you know right. it was like Brittany murphy and a couple other people and you're like man this is it's it's always the ones that you don't think are going to do it that end up following through you know yep i agree yeah yep exactly so i picked up on something interesting and i'm going to dive into that little nugget so you're you're friends that you hang out you don't talk about this stuff with but you do in your work which is totally fine um, those things can absolutely be separate but do you find do you ever find that difficult the more you get into the work that you're doing that you know that you are traveling it seems like in a direction of doing more of this kind of filming or the, of this kind of subject material um no not really it's weird i mean i i look at it more like um uh, when I'm with my friends, I want, I want to just get away from any problems that I might experience by myself. Right. And, um, I mean, there are certain people I can talk to about this. I mean, Mark and I talk about it quite a bit now that we've become friendly. Um, you know, if, if he, I, I had a hard time like two or three weeks ago and I messaged him and I was like, Hey man, I'm in a low, like, did you ever have this feeling or that feeling? And he's like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, okay, I'm not, alone in these feelings and I haven't had them in a very long time. I haven't had lows. I, I mean, that's probably the first depression I was in last two months in a very long time. And um, so I, in situations like that, I'll turn to people. But yeah, when I'm in the work, right. uh, it's it's really about the other person. You know, I, I almost feel yeah. like a therapist, you know, and I'm learning from their experiences. I can relate to it and empathize to it because of what I've been through. But I try to keep myself out of it as much as I can you know, um, because it's about them, you know, I mean, right. when I did that project with Billy, he, he's, he's a very depressed person, but he defers his feelings in with laughs, you know, but I, I know mm -hmm. him well enough to know that that's not how he is. I mean, we're, we're very good friends and, but it's like, I, I would, I will know if something's not right, 
you know, or I, I would hope I would know because we're close enough. So when he dismisses it with a joke or whatever, it's just good TV. You know what I mean? It's just good. It's yeah. like, right. I'm just there in the moment with this, you know, I'm not like actually going, are you okay, dude? You know? <laughs> so. Yeah. I have to be, yeah. I have to be very careful with, the, with that. I have to be very careful with the English language. If I'm, you know, I'm talking to somebody go, yeah, I'm so upset. I could open a vein. Wait a minute. You're going to open a vein. Really? A vein? Really? I don't know. Yeah, it's yeah. speech. It's, uh, it's, uh, but there, there is something interesting. There is something interesting with what I do in particular, and I'm sure it's it, there mirrors it in podcasts, like where there's sort of a responsibility to where you go, like, all right, uh, if I like, I've interviewed when I interviewed, you know, uh, Mark and have him dredge up all these feelings, or if I interview a disabled veteran, have him relive their accident. You know what I mean? Those, those are real feelings. Like those people cannot turn those things off. You know, they're yeah. gonna, they're not an actor that can just turn it off and leave. They're, they're, they're really reliving a traumatic experience in some way. So there's sort of an ethical responsibility to have some social tact to that and grace. And how do you, how do you approach it? And uh, when yeah. do you break, you know, when do you take a break and go, guys, let's go grab a bite. Let's, this has been pretty heavy, you know, like let's, you know, I, you don't want to drill them like a journalist. So it's, it's, I find that that's the dance. That's why being self-aware in those moments are, is really important because if you can't overstep it and you can dredge up some feelings that maybe aren't the best thing for somebody, you know, I am. Um, when I keynote, I, I tell the meeting planner, uh, let's do uh, it's going to be 60 minutes. Last 10 minutes, we'll do general Q and a, and then I tell the audience before we, right before the Q and a, look, if you have a, a question uh, that you don't want to ask in front of the entire group, like, Hey, I'm crazy. Can you help me? Um, <laughs> I need a space set aside, even if it's just sitting on the stage and have people come up one at a time, because, because, the illness I have is called chronic suicidality. It's it's a little rare, and I talk about it. I give the example of my car breaking down. And two weeks ago, I'm doing a dental conference, and I'm standing at the front of the room, um, and only did a three minute keynote. But I mentioned the the car thing, you know, get it fixed by a new one, or I kill myself. A woman comes up. Nobody can see her face but me because everybody else is behind her. They're just tears pouring down her cheeks. And I looked at her and kept smiling so nobody would know that it was that serious. And I said to her, you have chronic suicidality, don't you? And she nodded her head. I said, you didn't know it had a name, did you? She nodded her head, tears still. She can't talk. She's too choked up. I said, you're driving along, I'm guessing, on an average day, and you see a bridge abutment. And you think to yourself, I could let go of the steering wheel right now, and that would be that. She nods her head. I said, well, here's what you need to do. I would suggest, do you have a therapist? Nod. Tell your therapist. You know what you learned today for god's sakes don't tell them you heard it from the comedian <laughs> tell them you googled it which at which point she begins to laugh and i got a note from her she goes frank when i got home i set an appointment immediately with my therapist and then about three paragraphs in she goes you know i think i think the, the reason i was at the dental conference was to meet you 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 changed my uh-huh. life and i can't say that about a lot of people so yeah i think i believe nick there is a responsibility when you stir emotions like that you just can't go thank you very much that's my time where's my check um, yes yeah exactly yeah that's and it's and that's also to, on the flip side that's why we do this i mean i can only speak for myself but you know oh, when yeah. i was when i did the film on derek and you got people coming up to you going like man realizing that somebody was able to do that kind of art is inspiring me to like make things because of my mental issues. It's like, that's, there's no better gift. I mean, it, no. no, no film review, no award, nothing will, will make you feel that way. And so that, you know, it's, it's a nice thing to be able to, I mean, I'm not, tr- I'm not actively trying to do that when I'm making something, but, and I'm sure you aren't mm-hmm. with your making people laugh. Right. Frank. But you know, that, that's a, a, a job perk, I guess, you know, um, Brian, can I give you another perk? And I just realized this the other night, um, spoke at the university of Montana Billings on college suicide prevention. And I determined a month or so ago that I cannot, now I cannot kill myself because, um, I would take untold numbers of people with me because they would never ever been able to hear me just, you know, do a keynote and, and, and actually give them permission to give voice to their feelings and experiences. If I, if I had killed myself a week before that dental convention, who knows what would have happened to that young woman, you know, who did, who thought she was some kind of freak and perhaps, you know, maybe I changed the trajectory of her life just enough, you know, that she can avoid that, you know, dying by suicide. So picture this as a filmmaker, Nick, I'm standing outside the building at the university of Montana Billings. It's snowing. Uh, the guy is going, 
across the parking lot like a block away to get his truck. I'm standing there in the snow, snow coming down to the street light a little ways away. And I'm thinking, you know, I just I can't kill myself. And then I thought to myself, oh, my God, I am in. It's a wonderful life. That's oh, wow. <laughs> You know, yeah. because of the snow and the, you know, because, yeah, yeah. you know, the Bailey thought, you know, he jumped off the bridge and then he said to Clarence, I wish I'd never been born. And Clarence says, well, let me show you what, what would have happened. So it's a little different in that if I kill myself, let me show you what will happen if you kill yourself and then show you the people who who you, you might have saved mm. that went on to like this woman. She, she may never have realized that, that that had a name and that there was treatment for it. And you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, so now I can't kill myself. Yeah, that's there's it's and it's a gift to be able to to affect people in any way. And I think there's a responsibility to that, you know, like yeah. if you if you have a public voice in any way, shape or form and you can influence the way people think, I think you should do it in a way that's ethical, you know, yeah. and, and um, just being being mindful of it, you know, while you're doing it. I mean, not to force anything, but just to just to be respectful, you know, and that's, yeah, that's the not best you can hope for. Be careful about sensationalizing. I mean, it's so difficult, especially when you're in any kind of media. Um, you know, I think about that. Like we we just interviewed one of the um, survivors of the Boston Marathon bombing. And I was like, you know, I'm not going to put that in the name of the title of the show, even though that would give it more hits and yeah salacious you know, headline yeah yeah exactly absolutely. i'm just not gonna i'm not gonna do and you know she gets trolled horribly um every time you know her name's out there so i was like well i don't want her i also don't want to it's brave enough for her to even come on the show and talk about this again knowing that she's going to post it out and she'll be trolled again um yeah. you know so yeah, how can i do this you know it's like you know, this delicate but, but you got to look at it this way too. There's a reason that person has volunteered to do the interview. That's, I mean, this is oh, something I've had to rationalize, you know, I mean, yep. like with, with, with Derek, I went, I had, a, I felt really, I felt like I was going to throw him into a, a depression or something. And his manager, Marty goes, look, man, he's, he's a grown man. Like he wants to do yeah. this. You know what I mean? He wants to do this. Um, do it, you know, don't it, once you're in it, just do it. And, you know, and, and, Cause we can, it's easy to psych yourself out too with that. You know, you could, you could not get the audio bite, not get the good story, not get the good thing because you're too worried about hurting somebody, you know, but they're there, they're, well, yeah. they're volunteered, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I'm over that part. The codependency part of me about that is like, I am not anybody's rescuer. <laughs> that was yeah, me yeah. just avoiding my own feelings. But with the podcast, it's like, no, we go all in, but I still, you know, think about, okay, um, you still have to, like, how far does it, yes, I want to get this to as many people as possible. So if I do a more salacious headline, it'll get there. But I have to figure out where that line is for me, where I would feel really uncomfortable and not good about myself. And so I just do what, where I feel okay about it, you know, and that's God, always way were, less than what the guest is. <laughs> the I guest is like, put journalist. it out there. I wish you were a journalist uh, or, or that journalists were more like you, because that's a big problem in our culture. I think right now is these yeah. uh, misleading news stories, you know, and headlines. I know. It's that's like, why I love Mike Resendez. You remember him from He's, he's with the Boston Globe Spotlight. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mark Ruffalo played him. Yep. He came on my show, and I was like, oh, see, this is why we have the spotlight team. This is why we have this kind of journalism. I mean, because he's so – I it's, it's weird to interview him because when you were talking, Nick, about how, no, it's about the subject, well, that's your job as a journalist. So I'm interviewing him. I did a second interview, yeah. and I was trying to interview him. And so he spent his whole career pulling himself out of every story. So I was like chasing him around a table, you know, in, in, yeah. you know, through dialogue, like Mike, I'm really trying to talk about you. So stop running away from me. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I do find that, uh, the, the analogous thing for me is like, um, is, uh, actors. So, or people who are on TV a lot, like, uh, my friend that's a chef, I work with him. He's, he's do, does like a hundred TV appearances a year. If I'll have to get real with him and talk about something serious, he's, he, he can't turn it off. 
you know, he's a showman, right. you know what I mean? Right. So then there's, there's a, uh, there's a performance aspect to it, you know, that you got to break down because they're aware of all the tricks. When you're a journalist yeah. and you interview people, you know, all the tricks, you know, so they, they yep. see it coming from a mile away and it's sort of like, how do we get there? How do we, how do we, it's a puzzle. And that's exciting. You know, I think as you know, oh, yeah, end. it is. Yeah. That's the high. That's the high. When you get, when you're with someone and you're like, I just did one, I just did a show with someone and she's an actress and it was awesome, but I had to do an extra intro in the beginning to say, listeners, just hang in there with me for, to we'll go past the 20 minute mark. Cause it took that long for her to stop being an actress and for her to be like uh, her real self. And then we got, yeah. we got this empathic high together for the last, you know, 40 minutes of, of the show. And then she, at the end of it, you know, we stopped recording and she was like, damn, you're good. <laughs> yeah, I was running away from everything you were trying. And I was like, I didn't think I was going to get there. <laughs> yeah. I, I just wrote, a, I actually just wrote a blog about like a lot of interview techniques for documentary and stuff because of that, because I think a lot of people, they, the, the instinct is like, and I'm sure you guys from doing podcasts, you learn this, but the instinct is like, tell me about your suicide, you know? But that's, that's not how you get there. You not go what you do. No, you go. So, so, so when you, when you have, when you're drawing your art, what sort of feelings are you pulling? Is there anything in your life that was traumatic that happened? Now, you know that they have attempted suicide, but you're just getting them there in a very indirect way. And those, those things that I find make somebody very comfortable talking to you. It's, it's a, it's literally just common sense. You're having a conversation yeah. with somebody, you know, and then letting the camera or the mic disappear and becoming part of that journey together. You know, you're, yeah, you're doing absolutely. it together. You're not leading them, you know, it's, it's well, about being a good host, you know, like you have to, people don't realize there's, there's an art to being a host. And I'm talking, I'm putting you in that category too, Nick, because you're doing a documentary. You have to be able to, you have to have self-reflection and all of those insights and be in touch really deeply rooted in yourself. Otherwise you wouldn't be able to pick up on those emotional cues to know when do I push and when do I back off and where do I go and how do I go here? Yep. You know, yep. and, and be interested. You know, I think that's yes, the thing. exactly. Like, yeah. like, people even like, want to listen. Even if something's not the most exciting thing in the world, find something about it to get excited about because that genuine yes. curiosity and intel, you know, like thirst for, for knowledge in there will, will actually pull, will translate to the screen or to this interview or whatever. Yep. And I think that's where the bipolar comes in, right? That's where, for me, I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's where you, you just, you start zeroing in on those feelings and starting to, you know, theater of the mind go somewhere else with them. And that's when you can really, you can empathize deeply, you know, I think that's, that's yep. it. Well, and I think having well, hosted a couple of radio shows that I think people make the mistake that the skill the skill you need for hosting a radio show is talking. And I would say whether it's a radio show, a stand-up comedy or a documentary, the skill is listening. Yeah. yeah. Feedback, feedback. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, talking is, is important. Uh, but it's, I mean, I check and say, okay, how, how much of this, look at the, my audio, how much of this was me and how much was the guest. Okay, good. Even though it seemed like it was all me. <laughs> Yay! Because sometimes with what we talk about is what I'm saying. The things that we talk about, and you, you know, Frank, you just talked about this. Like you, you have to um, bring yourself in when it's an emotional subject and talk about yourself in order to help a guest feel comfortable talking about themselves. So I repeat stories and sometimes we edit them out because listeners have heard them before and sometimes we don't, but they're important because that's what got my guest to then open up. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. That's it's, so, I think sharing shared suffering is something, especially in this subject matter, you know, that anybody can relate to. And I think that's also what a good film, a good song, a good piece of art will do for you is it will absolutely. stir something up in you. That's universally human, you know? And I think that's yeah. really the, that's, that's also healing, you know, Aristotle's catharsis, you know, how, how do we, how do we experience war without going to war? How do we understand the soldier without being the soldier? You know what I mean? That's those, yep. those things are, are helpful for any human, but especially for people like, 
with mental illness, I think. Being able to relate and empathize and go deeper into a perspective that you never thought you'd have, you know? Absolutely. Well, tell our listeners where they can find you and where you're gonna, your film is going to be. Um, I know there's going to be one in Richmond next, but um, where can they find out all about this stuff? <laughs> Uh, well, my website, just in general, is nickcavalier.com. Um, uh, Derek's movie that I referenced, Force Perspective, is forceperspectivefilm.com. Mark, who you had on and, and down again, is at downagainfilm.com. Um, <laughs> and we're going to be screening that actually in Richmond at the uh, Richmond International Film Festival at the end of April. Um, you can just go to my website. I'm there. Yeah, yeah, it'll be nice yeah. to actually meet in person. We're so. so coming to that. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Nick. We absolutely appreciate it. Yeah, it was great. Thanks for having me, guys. Keep up the good work. (laughs) I know, I know. No one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous. And they're just good people. And also MyGenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, CopeNotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. Sometimes I'm passive aggressive, but never without good intentions. I heat up and act on my emotions. Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you, I can find